0: Hey, everybody. So my guest today on the program spent pretty much his entire career playing in a power trio. Can you guess the name of that power trio? It wasn't Husker Du, it's not the Minutemen, and it's not Rush. It doesn't really narrow it down, I know, but maybe this will. The music his power trio played wasn't loud at all, but soft as it was, It was incredibly powerful. Still don't know? Well, don't feel bad. I've literally given you nothing to work with. But fear not, you'll know in the next two minutes. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out.
1: We are the fun police Do you have a license for that smile? What makes you think that you have got the right to bring that light into this darkness? We are the fun police Are protectors of the frown. It's not uncommon in this line of work to see a smirk turning to laughter. And what comes after? The rule is quite immutable. A giggle's prosecutable. You tried to hide it just a bit too late We are new and quite ambitious Therefore, naturally suspicious to no, you'll become the prisoner of the state We are the fun
0: police And we have had our eye on you would have been kind of fun to have heard Rush take a crack at that one. That is the music of my guest today on the program, Noel Paul Stuckey. Let me tell you a little bit about Noel Paul Stookey. Now, I know the name Noel might not ring a bell, but the name Paul likely will. The Maryland-born Noel Paul Stuckey became a household name as the Paul part of the Peter, Paul, and Mary equation. The landmark folk trio formed in New York in the 1960s and went on to lead the American folk music revival with massive hits like If I Had a Hammer, Puff the Magic Dragon, and Leaving on a Jet Plane. Hammer, of course, was written by Pete Seeger and Jet Plane by John Denver, but that was the thing about Peter, Paul, and Mary. They were incredible interpreters of American song. Their readings of Dylan tracks like Blown in the Wind and The Times They Are a Changin' are further evidence that they could not only interpret, but in many ways make those songs their own in the process. Peter, Paul, and Mary put out nearly 20 albums, including 2003's In These Times. Over the course of their career, they sold over 10 million records. The band ceased to be when Mary Travers passed away in 2009. Peter, Paul, and Mary may no longer be around, but Stooky, well, he's a pretty active guy both in and out of music. From founding the nonprofit Music to Life with his daughter, to producing artists like Dave Mallet and Gordon Bach, to playing at Dartmouth in honor of Martin Luther King Day, Stukey is still out there doing the work. And speaking of work, his new album has just hit shelves. Titled Fazz, Now and Then, the staggering 20-track collection mixes new compositions with folk, jazz, gospel, classical, and world music. It's been germinating in Stooky's head for almost 25 years, and it was well worth the wait. Filled with folky precision, poetic finesse, and clever wordplay, Faz now and then is a refreshing blast of musical fusion, commandeered by one of the greatest songwriters in American music. A singer, a father, a husband, an artist, and an activist, Stooky is the real deal. And this is a real conversation. Enjoy it, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
2: You doing and I say I'm embarrassingly well. And they say, What do you mean by that? And I said, Well, well, all the stuff going down around. <laughs> I'm 84 years old. I'm still upright. I got no complaints, nothing internally happening that I'm hiding. I'm not taking massive amounts of medication to offset anything. What I mean, I'm just a really blessed guy. So
0: I mean, it's it's a lovely answer because most people they'll say, How much time you got? <laughs> Let me tell you what's going on. <laughs> oh, my. Um, have, you, have you been particularly prolific in the last two years? Have you, I see your guitar right next to you. Have you been fairly disciplined in how much you're playing and practicing?
2: Um, I was in terms of focusing on the album. Uh, but I, by and large, I go to my guitar, as most of us do. Uh, or at least did originally as a uh, a haven. And I haven't had the, I mean, I got haven all around me. I got a, a wife of, uh, you know, 57 years. I got uh, three wonderful daughters. I got a couple of sub careers that are going like music to life, which is supportive, uh, you know, uh, singer songwriters out in the world of causes. Um, I got a partner who's still fun to talk to, Peter, uh, even though we don't perform all that much, and, uh, and a couple of other things that I've been putting off because my career as a singer was so big. For instance, I don't know if you got sent the, uh, the link to the Fun Police, one of the oh. tracks on the album. Yeah. I mean, I put that together i you know i did all the text work i did all the editing all the and i i hired this friend of mine dale DeJoy, to do the to do the characters and then manipulated them i mean it's that kind of so yeah i'm having a ball uh but i'm not <laughs> i i bring it out uh <laughs> partially i gotta admit for product identification <laughs> and, and and partially just before i logged on you know i was trying out see if i can still remember the chords because that's part 84 years old that's part of the real challenge but which is the background for love with a capital l Uh, let's talk about love with capital l Anyway, or if I'm talking to somebody who's got no music sense at all, and they want to know, tell me, Mister Diggy, when you refer to alternate chords, what 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 are you talking about? <laughs> then I have a I have a ball because I say, well, this is an A major chord. It has supported a lot of music, but this is it's mysterious, smoky, sometimes. Sexy cousin called an A major seventh. Did you hear the difference? And they usually do. Oh, that's cool. It is cool. And then I make up some kind of song behind it that lets me, uh, I mean, just take a phrase like, uh, Did you see her at the grocery store? And you just you sing that line against those two different chords. It's a totally different. I mean, her, she becomes quite an interesting personality behind an A major
0: seventh. Right. You know, right. it all it all changes. It um, does.
2: So that's what the album to a large extent's been about. Uh because I've always used those chords, much to the sometimes consternation of Peter, you know, who <laughs> I think you heard the story reached over once backstage and said, No, 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 man, you don't play an A major seventh on a Woody Guthrie tune. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, but you've you've done pretty well with those chords
2: i have uh whether it's what's her name or uh cue the moon or whatever yeah i and you know jazz has always been th- those colors have always been a part of my life ever since i was like you know 12 13 years old
0: The i mean the album is really all about fusion and have you have you thought about <clears throat> in terms of your own because I'm a writer and I find that I tend to do the same things I know I can do well. Um, There's a reason why I, you know, I don't write Sestinas or, you know, like I, I stay in my, I stay in my pocket, which is comfortable. Um, How does a musician challenge themselves to stay out of that pocket or not get too comfortable? Or is it good to be comfortable?
2: I think you have to know a lot about music to have a pocket. (laughs) and i'm self-taught so i'm a creature of whatever moves me whether it's uh or whatever challenges me uh sometimes i'll take on a form which is kind of more to your point i would think um i'll hold on a moment while i get rid of this irritating piece of dreck
0: (laughs) otherwise known as the iphone
2: yeah the ro the robo call Uh, sometimes I'll just take on a form because I've never seen it before. And I'm sure that if somebody asks you to contribute, uh, you know, a paragraph to a travel magazine, you'll go, what, what? (laughs) Uh, Because it's out of your ken. So I, I enjoy that. Um, You know, I'll write uh, a jingle or a phrase or a, but most times I'm just responding to the off the wall kind of thought. I mean, that's what, Fun police Police sat around as a poem for quite a while because I didn't know where it would go. Excuse me for waxing, maybe I've had too much coffee, but (laughs) the reason that fun police is unique for me is that I had no idea where the lyric was going to go. I just knew that it was kind of cheeky, you know, to say, do you have a license for that smile? Okay, so you've established yourself as this kind of authoritarian group that is going to uh, make sure that there's no joy expressed in the world. Where I'm a, I'm a redemptive kind of guy. That is to say, I like things that pay off, you know, that have, uh, an arc and a conclusion. And most times they're redemptive. Where's the redemption here. These guys who just keep penalizing you for being happy. And then I, in the middle of recording it, when I finally got all the words done, I realized that they could crack up at about two-thirds of the way through the song and that line about, uh, we found, you know, it's quite contagious, that laughter is contagious, and it is contagious. I mean, it is the kind of thing, if you're in a room and somebody starts laughing, it's hard to not smile, at least, or chuckle, especially if it's authentic so uh that became a really unusual departure for me as a songwriter but that's i would say that's kind of typical on the other hand there are the assigned songs like when i wrote el salvador for uh, the trio Um, that was you know here was a newspaper here was a a magazine article that was very moving and i felt it had to have some emotional presentation to a larger audience so That was a long winded answer.
0: No, no, it's a great answer. Is there a kind of artistic reflex where when you see what's happening in Ukraine, where the the reflexes to be activated as an artist and say, I must, I must write, I must respond to that artistically.
2: Yes, Uh, it doesn't always move as immediately, uh, you know, as one would hope, but yes. Absolutely. Ultimately, that will surface. I mean, right now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to bed with a heavy heart. Heavy. And that's going to show up. You know, it's going to show up. And it's, it's, and you, you know, (laughs) you try to displace it or put it someplace where it can fester on its own because uh, it's, it's not about life in the United States right here, right now. You know it's not about making fun um so yeah it's a it's a strange balance human beings carry with them all the time you know regret remorse anxiety uh hopefulness <laughs> awkwardness uh you know we are and and to be able to articulate it that's that's terrific i mean i I lament for folks that keep it are forced to keep it bottled up because they're either one too embarrassed or two haven't developed the tools for expressing it, other than beating their wife. Oh yeah, <laughs> sorry. I, <laughs> I mean, you know, those there are expressions uh, of. Matter of fact, I don't know if you've listened to the album with, uh, with any kind of depth, but Leonard's toaster was quite like that. For particularly for the bass player, who said that he just broke down and cried when he heard the tune. Uh yeah, so I was, yeah, I, that's t- to the point that, uh, you know, that is a form of expression is to deny uh, joy to somebody else as part of a, uh,
0: your ongoing
2: perception of what the world is.
0: The idea that music, that protest music, or we saw this a lot in the 60s and the early 70s, where you know, take your pick of the songs, but like protest music was powerful and it felt like it was that that change was, was possible Absolutely. and was happening. And I wonder now, like, I I don't know, this this is I'm painting with a very broad brush, but I feel like that is a forgotten art. I feel like the protest song um seems like it's people forget how powerful it can be, or maybe I'm wrong and maybe people are writing protest songs that I'm not aware of, which <laughs> is possible. Uh
2: I think you're right on both in both instances. Yes, you are wrong. <laughs> people people are writing songs. If you go to uh, musictolife.org, uh, that's T-O, not not the numeral two. Uh, you'll find a a group of dedicated artists who uh, increasingly are working in their own communities. Uh, and two, you were right because the the singleness of purpose behind protest songs has been diffracted. Uh, you know, the, what was civil rights in the '60s became human rights, became gender rights, became uh, And so you have to address you have to address them individually. So the songs now are expressive of concerns in those individual areas, rather than, as you said, painting with a wide brush. Uh, to sing an anti-war song seems sophomoric in the face of the specificity of Putin's invasion of, of the Ukraine. Right. So we have to. Where's the singer who's going to write? Uh, you know, Putin is doing it again. Uh, that'll work,
0: <laughs> yeah. but, it has,
2: but it has to be about the interplay of Biden's ability, the financial, uh, world organization's capacity to shut the invasion down. I mean, there's some incredible sophistication that's called for, maybe not for a 12 year old uh, or a 14 year old, or maybe they just don't give a shit, you know? uh because that's what the grown-ups are doing right i don't i don't know because i'm too many years removed from that area i didn't really become a child of concern until i discovered that music could actually have content as well as entertainment value and that didn't happen for me until i was like 21 years
0: old in the village that's not bad because a lot of times you know I teach college, and I teach twenty-one year olds, and oh. you were way ahead of them in terms of, in terms of the contemporary 20 year, twenty-one year old. Now, um, it just seems to me like awareness um, is. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not really sure why, but it seems like youth culture of the '60s and '70s, and maybe even '80s, where I grew up, which was punk rock. Like punk rock musicians were very concerned about Reagan. They, were, they weren't happy with him, and he showed up a lot in their songs. So I think even the music of my youth, yeah, um, you saw that. I'm not sure where that is now. It's hard Maybe it's because I'm not young anymore. I'm not, I'm not in touch with it, but I don't know where it is.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, MusicTolife.org. I'm out of touch too if it weren't for that, I wouldn't know who these people are. Miles Bullen, uh, a rapper, works in, uh, in, for incarcerated folks. Uh, but, but like I said, the issues are more specific than they were when we were growing up. Right. You know, and, and they're addressed that way by artists. Um, yeah. I mean, that's not to say that there's not a general desire for goodness and peace in the world, and that's still expressed. But it's been to a large extent hijacked is the wrong word, but taken over by the evangelical community so that the only goodness in the world is exist in terms of labels that they use, whereas we all know, (laughs) uh, and some of us know better than others, uh, Paul's reference to God as being love. Oh, love. Oh, I get it. So to the extent that all you need is love, that still prevails. And so that message is still available to a younger generation, is still available in a day-to-day basis with your neighbor, uh, still, that's the ultimate redemptive. Uh, it it invokes forgiveness, compassion, uh, love with a capital L. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How so that, that's the big cause. What I'm saying is that yeah. you know because you have no other place to go except for the specifics, and they die quickly if you're pro Russia. If you're anti Trump, if you're, you know, I mean, they, there's so much contentiousness in the world now.
0: It's also been a really interesting balance, I think, for whether it was Pete Seeger or you guys or Woody Guthrie or Dylan. It's like, do you, do you build hope into a protest song or do you, or or like Phil Oaks, or do you just keep it, do you just keep it protesty? Like, I wonder what the balance, the balance is of that.
2: Yes. Well, yes, I, I mean, if you got a solution, we all want to hear it. <laughs> so build exactly. it in. Build it in, baby, if you, if you got a solution. But you got to be authentic about it because we're going to, you know, we're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater if it doesn't wash. You know?
0: How are in terms of your own, like paying attention to what's going on, you know, when you say in the 60s and there were so many crazy talents around you, Right, mm-hmm. your contemporaries were just ridiculous they're just it's just a hall of famer one after the other um i would imagine that would make me very con- very competitive like you know i gotta up my i gotta up my game always how how about now in terms of do you are you just competitive with yourself is that an easier way to be or should we not be looking around us for for that sort of feistiness artistically
2: i i don't think contempt uh Competitive is the word so much as recognizing that you and other artists around you are unique. Uh, That we all have a slice of expression. Slightly different and sometimes uh, that's the one that people prefer and sometimes not. When we were happening, uh, that is to say had three albums in the in the top six at the same time on the charts, uh there were not a lot of people who were doing what we were doing. I mean, there was Joan, uh, there was Judy, I'm talking about Baez, Collins, um, there was Phil Oaks, there was, and then, you know, mid-sixties through uh the mid-70s the emergence of Dylan and uh, and Simon and Garfunkel and James Taylor, we began to recognize, I mean, I think the public's musical ear began to recognize that, Oh, I see we can deliver meaningful lyrics and they can still be entertaining and it can still be entertaining. So finding that balance is uh, unique for each artist. And some of them don't even go there. Uh, some of them are just into dance, disco, light entertainment, uh, which in a sense is <laughs> sometimes can be construed as fiddling while Rome burns. <laughs> but in other other instances, is an attempt to remain lighthearted to encourage us to see our better angels. Uh, and so you can't. I, that's why i think the term unique is probably uh more appropriate than competitive uh yeah there's there's kind of a mutual i mean i suppose if you're a young artist just starting out you'd have to say the playing field is really crowded i mean between <laughs> all the access, YouTube, uh, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all of the platforms that are being used by people you've never heard of before to make statements that are maybe really arresting and interesting. It's going to take a long time for those interesting and arresting statements to surface to a general public, so you're going to have to be content (laughs) With being who you are, that's just what you do. And if somebody notices, then, then wow, you doubled your output,
0: yeah. or, or or quadrupled it. I mean, it's like depending on on what happens on on social media. Yes. Or ha, have you? At what point did you? And I have I have an actual numerical answer on my end um, for when I felt comfortable finally as a writer, as an artist. You know, I'm 51 now. I started feeling it around 46, which is really late. But when did you feel like, maybe self-actualized is too much, but let's go with it. Um, when did you feel self-actualized as an artist and felt like this is, the, this is the skin I'm in, this feels good?
2: I don't think until I had a spiritual conversion, I felt comfortable with what I was producing. Uh, though, when you look back at it, <laughs> tunes that resulted from self-torture and incrimination were pretty well constructed. You know, I look at the house song. I look at what's Your name. I look at him. Uh, I look at even, you know, but, but a song like I dig rock and roll music that was just fun to do. Wasn't me except insofar as, uh, I had a quirky sense of humor. To the extent that the quirky sense of humor was a reflective of my angst and my inner turmoil is probably pretty accurate, but I didn't feel comfortable with that persona until. The wedding song and from the wedding song on I went oh I get it i'm a vessel Uh, I can I can do for good. uh, But the most. The best contribution I feel I can make is just to be authentic. So then I really dug deep for that. And that's probably what you're talking about, is that you dug deeper. Then you didn't settle. Uh, And that's still true today. I mean, there's a a book out called Healing Our Divide that uh, my daughter, a a co-writer named Jean Finley, and I uh, have written a chapter for. I mean, it's just 1500 words. between the three of us, we nitpicked that thing to death. But the result is it was authentic. Mm-hmm. It is authentic presentation for all three of us. And I suppose that pattern started with the creation of Peter, Paul and Mary. For me, the recognition that if three people could agree on something it is probably right. <laughs> right. It's a good consensus. Yeah, it's a good consensus.
1: There are no words, there is no song No earthly bond that can heal these wounds That will last a whole life long And when the stars burn to dust Hand in hand we still will stand together Because we must But there are no words In one single hour, in one single day, we were changed forever. That can melt this heavy stone, that can bring back the voices and spirits of our own. Oh, there are no words, there is no soul, no earthly balm that can heal these wounds that will last a whole life. Hand in hand we still will stand together because we must but there are no words All the brothers, sisters and lovers We are strong of heart We are links of a chain That won't be pulled apart And there are no words There is no song No earthly bond that can heal these wounds that will last a whole life long And we still stand.
0: where when you are writing where you can see how it could if you weren't aware and thinking critically it could veer into the inauthentic how it's the i guess temptation is is Mm. always sort of there Mm. right
2: well a short to take a shortcut or to be content to be content but then you fall asleep and you can't you wake up in the middle of the night you go You know, I really can't let that one go. And you go back into the laboratory and do a little more fiddling, tweaking, whatever. Yeah, until it feels right. There are, uh, but then there are some surprises. For instance, I was doing a show, as a matter of fact, it was Love with a Capital L. Uh, I was singing that song at Dizzy's, which is a jazz club in San Diego. And it was kind of unique for me to be there. But, you know, jazz and folk have always, in terms of their uh, audience a- always been commensurate i mean they they always have a i don't know an attraction for each other on one hand the improvisation has to be authentic you know i mean because otherwise it's not improvisation is it you know and on the other hand music with content with with lyric content has a kind of finality and uh, a presence so Anyway, I'm at dizzy and I'm singing this song and I've just written it. And there's a bridge that says, I'm not saying that I love you any less or any more. I'm just saying that there's more here than any one of us can take the credit for. Okay. I'm singing the song first three verses, do the bridge first two verses, do the bridge, come out, uh, do another two verses, go into the bridge, this bridge that I just said to you and in the middle of it, I forget the words. So I'm not saying that I love you. No, no, no. I didn't forget. I, I'm not saying that I love you any more or any less. Oh my gosh. I swapped less and more. What am I going to do now? Right? <laughs> I'm just saying that there's more here. Okay. What's the next slide Then we are usually willing to confess. Ta-da! Well, when those moments happened, I mean, that's probably happened to you sitting in front of a, of a keyboard. Of course. You go, wow, wherever you came from, <laughs> thank you so much. And I've kept that lyric now. That's on, the, that's on the recording because it seemed to be doubly appropriate, you know, because of its arrival mechanism.
0: Right, the arrival mechanism remains as mysterious as ever. Yeah, 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 yeah. And beautiful. And beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there are moments in front of the computer or wherever, if I'm, wherever I'm writing, when those happen, where I just go, "Wow, that feels like I was just, I was just, you know, the vessel." You're right. Like I, I someone else is driving the yeah. ship on that one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely. But I, I will never stop being grateful for those moments. And I feel like when, when they happen more often than not, I feel like I must be more open. Right. And sometimes I must be closed. Is that an imperative to yourself? You're saying, I think, I think it's not conscious, but I think sometimes, uh, I'm not open to be the conduit. Um, not by choice, but I just think sometimes, right. I mean, Oh yeah. Right. Artistically. Don't you feel, sometimes you feel more like, anything can pass through you. Other times you don't feel that permeable.
2: Probably if I went back and analyzed it, but I'm too busy in the moment, I think <laughs> yeah. to think that way, you know, being one way or the other, you know, what I loved about, uh, I just, I happened to see the album off the side, these, all of the pictures that are on the album mm. are all parts of my life and the one in particular that i love uh that i wish i could remember more about is this one in the corner which is um brubeck and myself and the bass player
0: it's a great shot
2: yeah because i took so much i mean i've taken so much from uh i've taken so much from the brubeck uh, perspective. He was a really kind man, too. Um, yeah.
0: Brubeck was, um, I believe he was a Bay Area guy.
2: Yeah, he was. Actually. Yeah, he, he's from where well, I grew up, actually. Although he had a home in Connecticut, and that's yeah. where I visited him. Yeah. he. You guys remained friends? Yes. Uh, but distant. You know, when you're, when you're on a successful path, your roads diverge and it's very hard to keep them parallel because of the the responsibilities you have outside of that friendship. I mean, Tom Paxton and I, you know, still friends, still connect through email, but, and attend each other's performances if, and when we can, but you know, they're few and far between.
0: Did someone like Brubeck, did he, were you kind of awestruck by him even then were you sort of like this guy is not messing around?
2: Well, I became a a Brubeck fan, you know, way back. Jazz goes to college, uh, you know, that whole series uh, at Oberlin. Yeah, Oberlin College, I think, was where it was recorded. And the interplay between Desmond and Brubeck was knockout to me. Dave Diggs Disney, and then he came out when I, just about the time I moved to New York, he came out with uh, Time Out, which was, uh, had, uh about 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 the uh I can't remember the name of that oh but it was anyways twelve four time or twelve nine time or something and then of course Desmond's take five Uh yeah so it was increasingly I mean the idea that Peter Paul and Mary would go on tour with the Brubeck Quartet no way could <laughs> I have anticipated that and it was so lovely so lovely. And that's how the the title of the album came about. You know, I mean Desmond is we we did this song. Remember a song called On Top of Spaghetti? It was written by Tom Glazer? Sure. Well, Glazer also wrote lyrics to St. Matthew's Passion, uh, because all men
1: are brothers
2: wherever men may be. And it's right up the Brubeck Quartet's alley in terms of the combination of being able to improvise and being able to play classical changes. So it was a kind of a natural for the group as long as we were on tour, because we're folkies, you know, all right, everybody on stage, Kumbaya, you know, So we we wanted to have a together moment with the quartet. We convinced Dave, but Desmond was a little off-put, and so naturally, wouldn't you know, he was the one chosen by Dave to do the intro. <laughs> So, so he says. Well, we're going to bring some people on stage. I don't know whether to call it uh, "faz" or "joke," uh, <laughs> even though we we all know we we all suspected what his preference would have been. But anyway, the word "faz" stayed with me, and that's why it's the uh, the name of the album because it is, a, as you said when we first started to talk, kind of a fusion, uh, at least insofar as the chord choices. Uh, Providing some more emotional support than uh, than a plain vanilla chord would behind these tunes.
0: It's also a fusion of time. You know, like you were showing me those those the photographs on the um, on the album, and sure. um, it's it's a fusion of time because I mean, it really does represent uh, um, an, an incredible span. Uh, it was like twenty five years. It was in sort of in the making, right? Just in terms of yes, that's getting true. it together. Um, yeah. Is that when you thinking about it now, do you think like that was too long? Like, I should do you think you want to like speed it up now? Do you feel like, <laughs> I mean, you know, just, that's a good chunk of time to right? Actually, it's more like 60
2: more like 60 years. What sure that first are you talking about the span of music that's on the album? Yeah, no, the uh, long lonely night is from the sick, it was 1960. So, what are we? Oh, uh,
0: yeah, that's 60 60 years. 62 years, 62 years. Yeah. yeah. So it is a few. Fu- it is a fusion of time.
2: Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's kind of a rediscovery for me because those chords were always there. I was using them at the age of 20, 21, not on Woody Guthrie tunes. Thank you very much. But on many of the tunes that I could, that I felt could add an emotional perspective. Um, we were a two guitar band, you know, Peter and I, and I was usually capoed up the neck and given free reign to play whatever I wanted within a certain parameter, you know. And our harmony parts, if you think about the fact that Peter, Paul, and Mary was a trio, were not predictable. Um, we did not sing in what they say parallel form, um, like much of. Well, at the time, much like country and Western music or much like folk music was at the time we sang alternative notes in our parts and we came in at unpredictable times as long as they held up the content. Uh, yeah, I was just watching uh, Mary sing 500 miles, you know, and recognizing that it was a solo but. Not always. We sang three-part harmony, but where we chose to sing it saluted the fact that she was a she was a person delivering the line, if you miss the train I'm on, then you'll know that I am gone. You can hear the whistle blow a hundred miles, you know? So I love those. I love the fact that uh, we have, as musicians, those choices that we can bring to the delivery of lyrics.
0: Her yeah, her precision and her finesse is just still staggering to me. It feels otherworldly. Yeah,
2: yeah, she was pretty. She's pretty remarkable. Yeah, uh,
0: I miss her. Yeah, she was remarkable. Is yeah. is arguing a key to a long friendship? Anyway, I mean, it's important, <laughs> right? Uh,
2: maybe, although I think you have to recognize the relative importance of it to your relationship. I think it's healthy to argue, but you know Betty and I—I uh, I think I mentioned—we've been married for like 57 years. We, when the pandemic hit, and the proximity was forced upon us, so we we did we had no no relief from each other in a sense. We began to discover that we were erupting on all, all sorts of very subtle <laughs> levels, like who filled the tooth irrigator with water the last and whose responsibility was it? It got to the point where we referred to those arguments as pan spats, <laughs> spats connected to the pandemic. So yeah, you can argue, but you have to have a sense of humor about it too.
0: You seem like you're an easy guy to work with. You seem like you're a great collaborator. Have you, have you always been that way? Do you, would you characterize yourself as being that way?
2: Yeah, except that as I've gotten older, I've gotten more opinionated. I'm probably harder to work with now. But you know, uh, I don't work with anybody anymore except my wife. You know, uh, the the musicians that I worked with on the album are usually geniuses unto themselves in terms of creating a part or something. So I seldom have to tweak it. But if I do, I do because I'm the boss. You know, the the last word when it comes. Uh, But recording in a, in this pandemic circumstance, it was pretty interesting, you know, Uh, and it actually benefited me a great deal because rather than waste a good musician's time by going over a part that I should be able to play easily, but perhaps because of my age or my memory or whatever I'm having difficulty doing, I could construct that part off camera, like here, glue it together and send them a finished track to which they can play so in a sense the album was improved that way um michael mcginnis uh who i don't know if you got it from the liner notes i don't even know if you have a
0: copy of the album all digital i don't have the liner notes so yeah i don't
2: uh uh, but you don't have an actual copy of the album right oh well that's a bummer uh, credits for Michael McGinnis run throughout. He's the keyboard player, but he's also the MIDI player. They run throughout because he played MIDI everything. I mean, he did a Chet Baker, you know Chet Baker, the trumpet player? He did a Chet Baker uh, solo on uh, Waiting for Angels that's just I mean, it's so reminiscent of the era. Um, yeah, and that guitar part is not was not easy. A lot of atonal uh crossover is happening matter of fact, it's like this uh,
1: uh, uh oh, no. <laughs> see that's exactly why I recorded it.
2: behind those chords it's just so smoky that's an interesting tune that was written by uh, a guy out here in california uh, doug jessup and i said doug it's just too depressing a tune i said it's like it's like a movie and he said what do you mean and i said i tell you what let me write an opening a middle section and an ending for it and that's how let's all go to the movies. Something to brighten the day. There's one of on the grand that sounds sort of romantic. At least that's what some critics into that chord say. <laughs> and uh, then he tells the tale of a broken, uh, an empty bottle blonde with broken baby dreams. I mean, there's really, it's like going to uh, a romantic thriller. No. Did you know Chet Baker? No no, no 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 didn't no i i only knew really a few jazz folks i mean i, I admired many but yeah, you know, i really only knew uh rubeck the quartet uh and really mostly dave uh and uh well paul winter the consort and they they're playing uh they're represented through gene friesen and uh, paul sullivan on the album um Yeah, and Teresa Thompson, wow. Never knew her, never knew of her. And she sings, uh, uh, we do a duet on uh, a David Mann, who's another jazz guy, but I've never met him. I just got turned on to his big band song called Reverence and asked to write a lyric for it, which is now in Reverence on the the album. Uh, Teresa Thompson's, wow, killer singer
0: how did she come to your attention? How did, how did you, Paul, Paul
2: winter asked me to sing at one of his, uh, winter solstice programs out in New York city. Yeah. Uh, and she was, he said, why don't you do uh, a tune with her? So we did, uh, what was the tune we did? Uh, Huh. all I can get in my head is because all men are brothers, but it wasn't that anyway, we did a duet on stage at the solstice and I contacted her and said, I've got this gospel tune that I really think you could sing. And, uh, if she came back the first, first take on it, she was as though she was answering, uh, she never took the lead. You know, she was always singing riffs all around the lead and said, no, 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 no. You got to sing melody every once in a while. (laughs) So I think it
0: came out pretty well yeah she's something else oh you know her you know of her yeah i um yes she uh, but only for the last year or so just purely by accident that i ran into her work but whoa yeah yeah, not not messing around um in terms of of your personal artistic discipline have you always been someone who practiced daily people always when they listen to the show people always want to know um what the daily regime was were you were you someone who who could really sit down on a regular basis and take that time for yourself
2: no i never rehearse uh i really don't um if i'm working on a tune it may spill over into a couple of other tunes that i try to touch up or remember but i usually have a project that pulls me into performance mm-hmm. or into a rehearsal or creative mode um uh, Yeah. I mean, frankly, Betty, Betty's been asking me, she says, are you going to do another album? I said, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) You know, right now, I'm just happy to have the time off and talk to Alex Green.
0: (laughs) Well, I appreciate you saying that, but I was going to ask you the same question that your wife asked. I was going to say now that this one is like, it must feel like, Oh, that's kind of a catharsis to have it done and have it out right. To have it be something that is right. You've you, that project is done. Um, it must clear the space for something, something. I'm not putting any pressure on you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, it's kind of you. And I am a musician, you know, by habit. You know, and I've been very fortunate uh, to be able to put my kids through school. And to visit California. My daughter lives out here uh, through through the production of music and but there's no real pressing need to put anything out next so i will do a few performances i'm going to uh, dallas to sing uh uh, jean claude and some other tunes at a uh, holocaust museum there i'll do some work with kids with kid links out of dallas i'll have a few concerts in maine when i'm back but no this is a you know a time for Repair and uh, and reverence for the thanks that uh, that life has given me,
0: and also repose. Right, I, sometimes just learning to relax is is an art in itself. I still haven't figured that one out. That one still.
2: <laughs> ah, you're still in your fifties. You'll get.
0: <laughs> you get. The, yeah. You get. Yeah. <clears throat> it's. Yeah. I find that I that I have to keep moving. Is I'm kind of obsessive about about moving. Um, uh, but, you know, I mean, uh, I've, I've always been really curious because you were so, your music is so specific that how you observed other genres, like, did you ever like reggae? Did you, did you look at punk rock with amusement? I mean, did you, how no, did I you- loved, I, I, I thought
2: punk rock was where it was at. Not that I ever did any of it, but what it was to me was a return to roots. You know, rock and roll had gotten so fancy-dancy. You know, I mean, not to say that's not there again, but <laughs> rock and roll had gotten so fancy, and here were four young kids in a loft banging away at it. You know yeah. I mean You know, because they cared. To me, that was that was an echo of what folk music was all about. So I I loved punk and I loved reggae. Um, you know, not doesn't come so naturally, but even in my mind, you know, in my body, I Cha ja, cha, ja, cha ja, cha. Ja, ja. You know, one can't but help relax. To re- their body, just naturally loves that rhythm. I think
0: when I say their
2: body, the body, loves
0: <laughs> that rhythm, the body. Well, was the urgency over craft? Is what <clears throat> you know? Punk rock was all urgency over craft. Did you you like that energy? Absolutely,
2: I love the uh, yeah because. It wasn't the energy I was responding to, it was the abandonment of pretense, yeah, yeah, that's what I heard and and appreciated yeah
0: yeah, pre- yeah. pretense can get in the way
2: <laughs> it's actually, if you think about it, tense can get in the way, you know. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, it's true, and it's it's also it makes me happy that you've maintained friendships with with Tom and with your with your partner of of fifty you know six years. You're you're a guy who is um you're very consistent in that way, and and that I think that's a really cool thing. That that's a valuable skill to maintain relationships.
2: I think yes, well, th- thank you. I think it's in inordinate, uh, not inordinate. I think it's most probable that we. Pass out of this life with maybe three or four really close friends that we've always been friends with, known since school, known since the neighborhood, known since our kids went to school, no, whatever. I think that that happens. To me, the real challenge is being open to making new friendships. Uh, not that it doesn't happen, uh, but the opportunities for it are. Much fewer. Uh, You know, for instance, most of the people listening to this uh, are aware of the fact that many of their friends come because are their friends because they grew out of a relationship that their children had with those other people's children. And then when that goes away, then, okay, well, now you're in the neighborhood, so you're friends with your neighbors, uh, maybe. But if you live in a rural area, uh, you may not have the kind of intensity of neighborhoods that you do when you live in the city. And that certainly is the case for Betty and I in, uh, in Maine. We live on the coast of Maine and our nearest neighbor is, you know, well, really a half mile away, you know. So you don't see them every day right but that's what we love about being in california not only that but california has got a very sunny disposition if i can mix my metaphors it
0: does yeah i, I would have thought you were a berkeley guy i, I would have thought that you would have lived on on my side of the state <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah no nah, i really oh is just perfect for us it's uh we sit on the front porch around five o'clock say hi to everybody passing by it's been a good life. Where where
0: are you? So I'm just outside of Berkeley. I'm just out in a little place called Walnut Creek. So about ten oh, minutes. Oh,
2: Walnut Creek, sure. Yeah, Walnut Creek is on the way to uh, to the the performing venue. There's one. Isn't there a performing venue, large one?
0: Yeah, there's uh, there's a Lesher Center for the Arts. Uh, mm. This is outdoor. I'm thinking of the one that's outdoors. Then there's a the Concord Pavilion. That was it yeah, yeah. I, I remember isn't that near walnut creek absolutely it is i grew up in concord and uh the pavilion was about five minutes from my house yeah and um but i think i actually saw you there when i was younger
2: i probably saw you too but i didn't <laughs>
0: i'll chat to that guy in 40 years um, <laughs> did, you, did you have a relationship with dylan and it was he a tough guy to get to know no just a tough guy
2: to get to sustain a relationship with no, Bobby was really open, affable when he came through the village in 1960. Uh, and, you know, the, yeah, the first time through, he was doing mostly uh, Guthrie tunes. And then he went to work at a uh, chess club in New Jersey. And by the time he came back for his second trip through, I was master of ceremonies of uh, at the Gaslight both times, asked if he could do a set. I said sure and he got up on stage and did a version of the Buffalo Skinners song, which pays off in the last verse where the the boss of the Skinners pays the guy in skins. And the guy says, well, What am I supposed to do with this? at the end of the season. And he says, I'll just take it to the you know, to the general store and you can get anything you want. Just use the skins like money. So Dylan comes back, he starts off the song that sounds like it's the Buffalo Skinner song, but it's a song about a guy going to a chess club, uh-huh, to sing music. Uh-huh, and at the end of his gig, he gets paid with uh-huh, chess pieces. <laughs> and he says to the boss, what am I supposed to do with these? And the boss says, just go to the bartender. You can use them like money. So he goes to, he gets a beer, he pays with a queen and gets two rooks in change. That moment that he did that, I recognize that we got somebody on the loose here who has a grasp of what folk music is in a way that nobody else has. Um the interplay of concepts, you know. Uh so I and and i was in him i mean so i recommended him to albert grossman who became his manager for a long long time uh and bobby and i stayed relatively close in terms of friendship but like i said people on a success trail they tend to emanate from a core and their paths don't are not parallel anymore unless unless there's a lot of history that went on before like paxton and i we had a you know a year and a half history in the village actually roommates you know
0: so i love paxton's last record
2: oh yeah and he's got a new single out i think called when the big bad books go boom talking about book banning
0: oh i haven't even heard that <laughs> but he's great he's great what, what do you have a friendship with phil oaks were you guys pals
2: no Knew, knew him peripherally, but uh, no, didn't know him. Had a great, re- have, have, still have a great relationship with Judy Collins. Janice Ian is a relatively new friend. But that whole era of conscientious songwriters, we, we do tend, Tom Chapin, we mm-hmm. do tend to still bond, you know, over issues and are supportive of each other.
0: I love hearing that. Yeah, because it, it is a real community.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it is.
0: Hey man, I really appreciate your time and I love the record and I'm, I'm just so grateful to uh, have a time to chat with you.
2: Super. Thanks for your help too, Alex, in getting it out there. Thanks, buddy. Peace.
0: Well, that was really cool that was a great conversation with noel paul Stukey. get his new album faz now and then it's fantastic at noel paul don't forget alexgreenonline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me bombshellradio.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with our radio station you can follow me on twitter at embers editor you can follow me on instagram at embers podcast or if you're an email kind of person Email away, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Don't forget, Stereo Embers, the podcast, like you're going to forget this. I remind you every week. Uh, Stereo Embers, the podcast is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, tell all your friends, rate and review. We would appreciate it. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Fun Police from Faz Now and Then by Noel Paul Stuckey. Enjoy it. And thank you, as always, for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast, only right here on Bombshell Radio.
1: We are the fun police. Do you have a license for that smile? What makes you think that you have got the right To bring that light into this darkness? We are the fun police We are protectors of the frown It's not uncommon in this line of work To see us Americans Turning to laughter And what comes after The rule is quite immutable A giggle's prosecutable You tried to hide it just a bit too late We are new and quite ambitious Therefore, naturally suspicious no. You've become a prisoner of the state We are the fun police And we have had our eye on you We might be willing to permit a grin But only in the rarest cases We are the fun police And should we look the other way There is no telling where your mouth might lead In fact, indeed these latters (laughs) <laughs> we are the fun bullies <clears throat> Is there no limit to your joy? You might have noticed we are envious But still we must enforce rape streak we are the fambolism I think I see a twinkle in your eye If we decide that we could let you go Won't you let us know what your secret source is now